0: Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer. Hi. It's episode eight. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So please give us a five star rating or just like us. Literally, I would be satisfied if you just liked us. Anyway, so thank you everyone who listened and commented about our last episode with Isomorphic. That was really great, and we had a lot of great responses to it. So I hope uh, if any of you listened for the first time last week and are still listening, uh, please keep on listening. And a couple other quick housekeeping things. Uh, we are still set to do our Gold Drop live episode next week on the 13th. Uh, I think we're going to do that from 6.30 to 9.30 Eastern. Uh, depending on when Ruben eats dinner, he might show up a little late, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're also excited to announce our first non-farming team member of the Farming Eternal team. Uh, ben, whose draft we reviewed last week, is going to take over the 7-win run spreadsheet and has some exciting things planned for it to help us get a little bit better analysis and some more glean some more information from all the deck lists that you all are sending in. Uh, but we're still going to be doing that through the Farming Eternal email account. So as a reminder, if you get a 7-win run, please keep sending them to the same place, which is farmingeternal at gmail.com. Okay, so enough with the boring news. Let's talk about this week. Uh, This week, we'll be talking card of the week as usual. I didn't enter any of the seven win runs this week, which is part of the reason why Ben is taking over that. Um, (laughs) But we will give a shout out to everyone who sent in lists this week because so many new people sent in lists, which was really great.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Then... Ruben has um, part two of his drafting tips and tricks, and I'll have a little addendum there. And then we have a draft by your soulmate where I wish I was a fly on the wall of the person passing to him because <laughs> that is the person I don't understand. So let's get right into it. Uh, this week, card of the week. My card is meditation, which is one time Give a unit plus two, plus two, and put it on the top of your deck. And this is a card that I see, at least for me, a surprising amount. And co- and this is actually, co- coincidentally, um, your soulmate put it in their deck uh, this week. But I I literally cannot think of a situation where I would put this in my deck. So Ruben, could you explain what other people are thinking? <laughs>
1: Well, we, I mean, we, we talked briefly about... There's some there's a few combos with that card, like Huntsman being able to... If you have already triggered it too with Killer, you can reset the Killer by putting it on top of your deck. Yep, and gives it to, and Yeah, I know. You're not interested. I, I get it. It's a very... Um, meditation falls soundly in the situational category for me as a card that uh, you just... Like it's great those moments because it's a fast spell you can use it to essentially negate a removal spell but you're also negating one of your draws as well by putting it on top of your deck so yeah it's it's hard to imagine on uh, many decks that really want it it's it's a possible I suppose you know your twenty eighth twenty seventh card of your deck play it like because it's it's you know bordering on playable. It's not one of the worst cards that's in the set, but I, yeah, I, I just I don't see putting it in my deck very often. I'd rather have even just any unit over this card, or an actual pump spell would be also really great. That's where I, that's where I am on that card. I haven't uh, extensively tested it, but I, I haven't been blown out by it very often. It feels like something that that rarely happens. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because I feel like even when I'm, like, quote-unquote blown out by it and they, like, use it to save a unit, I I don't really feel that bad about it. Because they're just... I know what their next draw is going to be. And it's just going to be, like, a slightly bigger unit (laughs) than they had already played. I don't know. It just seems like even even its, like, blowout potential isn't really a blowout. So, anyway, I guess I'm still... If anyone wants to send an email in and explain to me, try to explain to me a situation where this was a good card in their deck, I would love to hear it cuz I this is truly and honestly one of the things I just don't know if I'll ever understand.
1: You're going to get an email where somebody's going to say I had a quadruple wormstone deck in my meditation triggered something and got three seven seven worms and <laughs>
0: right i know but any I, spell would have done that i know that's true okay well, we've, Ruben.
1: we've meditated on that long enough. yeah
0: let's uh a much more i think understandable card let's nice. uh what's your card
1: uh yeah i wanted to choose the most boring playable card possible um which is it's been one of my favorites actually uh flickerling which, it's, it's really complicated. Buckle yourselves, because I'm about to read off a whole lot of text. It's a 2-2, two, two, flyer for three. And that's it. It's a one shadow influence requirement. Um, and this card, I think, is actually quite good. <laughs> and there are there are a lot of situations where Flickerling, especially if you end up in one of the stone scar style decks with Granite Acolytes and
0: um, even other
1: Acolytes, the Amethyst Acolytes and stuff, also kind of shrinking down their stuff. Um, having that flying unit just uh, plucking away at your opponent can be really good. And, and sometimes you just have to have a flyer to, to make your deck run smoothly. Um, I think I, I rate it a little higher than I initially did when I first saw the full you know sets and the draft packs and everything. I don't yeah. know. Have you, I've I've won plenty of games with Flickerling. That's why I've brought it up as just like this bizarre, kind of boring-looking card that can do work occasionally. Especially if you have enough, you know, of the stun effects and removal spells and stuff, rounding out your early plays with a flyer is really great.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think Flickerling is a or just a. A fine workhorse of a card. It'll help you win some games. Um, I feel like people undervalue it. I don't know. Maybe people don't undervalue, but I feel like the reason people might undervalue it is that you know, time has a locus, which is essentially the same card for one less power, and so it tricks you. I think a little bit into thinking flickerling is worse than it is. It's just locus is like a pretty good card, and flickerling's an okay card
1: yeah yeah locus is is considered by a lot of people to be kind of a premier uh, uncommon unit because it's just such a good rate and I mean flickerling is is far worse at at three but is still a perfectly playable card in a lot of decks i, I just see people passing it without much consideration often so I think um it's just worth noting that yeah yeah some, well, sometimes that's, the flickerling's better than you know a, just another
0: random like ground unit yeah well that's the thing with that's uh you know because i would say that i am probably lower than the community on Locust and higher than the community on flickerling because i just feel like that one mana difference well i mean i feel like see even saying significant is like too big of a stretch it's just like If you're playing it on curve, you've gotten two extra damage in by the end of the game, I guess, with your locust. But it doesn't seem like that's going to make or break the game. You know, if you're you're 2-2 Flyers winning the game, whether you drop it on two or three is not going to change that much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on how aggressive you are as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you're really trying to curve out into powerful effects and weapons and stuff yeah a, a locust is the type of card that's really really great um and flickerling is looking less powerful in some of those lists like you'd almost rather be playing you know your three as uh sharpshooters you know and things like that are just better rates and hit yeah, a no. lot harder
0: yeah well but a, sh- a sharpshooter is li- like a real premium comment yeah that's true so. Yeah, it's not
1: really too much of a comparison. Like that, I don't... There are some decks where a Flickerling actually will look better to you than a Sharpshooter. St- yeah. If you have enough, um, you know, Frost Talismans and stuff. Yeah, Sometimes the Flickerling will just pick pick away at them, at their life total for a while. Right. While you b- build up your resources. But yeah, no, a Flickerling is not going to make or break anyone's deck. I just wanted
0: to <laughs> point out that it's, it's fine. And I would add neither will a locust, but <laughs> we'll save that for another card of the week. Okay, now for our seven win run breakdown. So I'll admit it, uh, this week I wasn't able to I didn't have a chance to enter any of the drafts. So there will not actually be a seven win run breakdown. But I still wanted to thank everyone who sent in a deck list. So thank you, Aloran forty four, Zach D. Kent M, Jose Carlos, Gao Nan, Abidnego, Adam G, John J, Fang Warb, and Raven Drag- Dragon. Thank you all for sending in decks this week. Um, and for anyone else who um, has a seven win deck that they would like to send in, you can send that in to farmingeternal at gmail.com and you can just include a screenshot and a deck list, a exported deck list. Uh, both preferably, but if you don't have uh, one of those, you can just send in whichever version you have. Let's get on to our main topic. Um, this is Tips and Tricks Part 2, so take it away, Ruben.
1: All right, yeah, so... There might be some overlap with the tips and tricks part one, but um, I'm just I, I'm seeing that a lot of people are interested in kind of some of the conceptual conversations we've been having about um, different areas to improve and in your in your play as well, and so a lot of this is going to focus on that aspect of drafting an Eternal, which is thinking through things. And like the, the types of, the types of approaches that are gonna help you in the long run and, and increase those small percentages over time, like in your actual games. Because um, I know we, we talk a lot about uh, card choices during drafts and stuff, but drafting is really just one small part of the entire playing of, of a full draft. So yeah, we're so let's get into the tips and tricks. And the first one I wanted to talk about was just kind of basic uh, power sequencing, which is you know the order in which you play your power cards. And I, I see a lot of a lot of newer players. This is a an area that they definitely need to work on <laughs> most of the time, and it's very important and kind of sets up how your first few plays are are going to first few turns are going to play out, especially, but even, even thinking beyond that at times, um, is very important. So as we've mentioned before, you know, taking your time with this is really important. You can take a moment. Don't feel pressured to, to play your power real quickly and pass turn to please your opponent. Um, just take your time, plan things out. Um, also, uh, Know what your influence re- influence requirements are in your deck, because a lot of the cards, like the bannermen and the tokens, the difference between you winning or losing that game can very often be like whether or not you chose the correct color.
0: Yeah, you know, I think for me, like the two areas where I feel like this shows up the most is, I mean, I feel like figuring out what your influence requirements is one of the easiest easiest ways to improve because you can just like look at your deck and see like what has two or three influence requirements but like one is uh I, yeah one is like check what your early drops are and what their influence requirements are because like when you play your first p- power you know the easiest example is like a egg do you have an arachnid egg in your deck if you do, you have a possibility of drawing it. So if you don't have it in your open hand, it still might be worth playing that time sigil first, because if you then draw it, you can still play it and you know put out another sigil. If say you don't have a two drop in your hand, but if you play a different sigil and then you draw your erected on egg, you're playing your erected on egg, or you have to you then have to play, play your time sigil. First. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so that's, you're like that's a great point. And then the other one is and I think this is one of the hardest things to do is like when to like keep a power in your hand and like think about why are you doing that? And if there is actually a benefit to like keeping a sigil in your hand or are you just like doing it to like try to trick your opponent, but then you end up like screwing yourself because you actually needed that that extra power or something.
1: Yeah no I yeah so in the later turns you're talking about you know just yeah. holding it back to bluff like you still have something right yeah I, I think that's that's something that you generally will do once you've hit a certain amount of power it, it depends on whether or not you're waiting to like say there's a seven drop in your deck that you absolutely have to be able to play you know when it when it hits your hand right when, you know if you if say you hit turn five you draw a sigil and you choose not to play it, and then the next turn you draw another sigil and you're like, Oh, I don't know, I'll play it, I guess, and then the next turn you draw that seven drops or something. You know, it's yeah, I, I, I definitely can see what you mean. And I think that, that works into just that point of knowing what influence and power requirements are for your deck, how much things cost and what playing to those outs. Like like definitely play so that you're able to play as many of the cards in your deck as possible.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, as I, and also pay attention, you know, now like now that we have cards like Moondial and Frost Talisman in our deck, you know, you want to think, you, you know, it might not be worth holding power cards in your deck because you just want as much power as you can. So say you draw a f- Frost Talisman, it'll allow you to, you know, trigger the Frost Talisman and play the card you draw as compared to if you're like holding power back and you're at nine power and you trigger your frost talisman and then you draw a three drop and you're like, oh crap, I wish I had been playing all of these sigils that had been sitting in my hand or something so I could do both in one turn.
1: Yeah, don't 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 do any risky bluffing by keeping power in your hand. Yeah, like you said, if you if you know you have ways of utilizing a lot of power, just keep playing them. Or I mean obviously the a big caveat is the empower game plan. Right. A lot of a lot of cards. Really, you need those sigils to sit in your hand for a while until you draw your stewards or your, the owls or something um, to to swing in with the big and power buffs. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. That I think works pretty well into our next tips and tricks. Okay, which is knowing your deck. Um, review your deck before pushing play. Uh, <laughs> so this is something that. As you know, a lot of people have trouble finding the time to do the draft and play all their games all straight in a row. I'm I'm definitely more often than not am doing one and then the other maybe later or something. And so review your deck before you press play. Don't don't just assume you're going to work it out. And that (laughs) I did a great job. This deck's awesome. I'm just going to press play and hope it works out because that's a good way to reduce the percentage of of winning <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you're like go, what
0: colors was this deck again
1: <laughs> yeah and then you're 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 faced with that issue of having the token in your hand turn one and going oh right do i have double justice influence more or double fire influence more and also not even just that question but which one is more important you know there's there could be a certain like duo of cards that are double justice you could have you know those could be the most critical win conditions of your deck and if you'd kind of forgotten that it's it's gonna really bite you in the end so yeah what know what your game plan is um like review your deck figure out what your win conditions whether or not your win condition could be anything from you know a few big creatures or big flyers or you know big bomb flyers or creatures even um or your win condition is aggressive units with weapons, or your win condition is going wide. That definitely is the first thing you have to figure out, because that's you know the way that you're <laughs> planning on winning the game. Um, and also, what are your answers? Taking a look at those as well, real quick, is also really important because many many times you'll be sitting faced with a certain situation where you might not have an answer. Or a specific unit, and if you don't have the answer, your uh, next you have to go through your options. Whereas, say say you have kind of a race situation where you're trying to decide whether or not to just swing out and just trade blows with somebody. That situation and that decision can be made much easier if you know what you know your chances are of drawing an answer to get you out of that situation. So sometimes, right. sometimes the the correct play is to just swing for the fences and just turn all your units sideways because you don't have an answer to their giant flyer with weapons, you know? So I, I think that that's, that's a, another important thing to be thinking about as you're playing out the game.
0: Yeah, and I think another quick... Uh... with that one is you know depending on what platform you're playing on so if you're on your computer you know you do have the ability to take a screenshot of your deck so that you can flip back to it as reference if you're in a situation and being like okay they just played a big flyer what answers do I have in my deck and if you've taken the time to take a screenshot you can look at the deck list and be like okay I have three cards that could potentially I could potentially draw so that means why don't I just play as defensively as I can and hope to draw the answer that I need? Or you could look okay. at your deck list and be like, I don't have any answers, so we're going to have to figure out a different way to win this game.
1: All right, so the next one, and this is one that I I, I think has gotten obviously more fascinating in, in recent months with the addition of the extra redraw, is when to redraw. And I think that this is a... Cr- a critical point and a decision point in games that a lot of people kind of um, will play off like bad luck more than they should, or you know, it's you've got a, you've got a chance at two redraws now. So once again, uh, knowledge of your deck's gameplay game plan is extremely important. So, like for example, say you have a hand with two removal spells and like a four drop. And there are, there are certain decks where that, that sounds great for most decks. Two removal spells and a 4-drop is like, oh, I'm going to answer their early stuff and I'll just establish my game plan. That sounds fine. Um, but in certain decks, that is an absolute redraw. Like a heavily aggressive deck with uh, mostly just 1 to 3 drops. Um, because that, that hand is not, it co- is not working with your game plan um and this is even more so if you're you know on the play you really you don't want to be sitting there just uh responding to your opponent when they're up a card as well so so yeah in this example uh you can you know sure you can potentially kill their threats but you know how are you winning the game like one big blocker can just destroy your entire deck at that point so you want to be progressing your game plan and you know if you're aggressive, you want to be hitting those two and three drops. And, you know, you, you don't want to keep hands with three weapons or something and no units. It, it's obvious stuff, but it's important to know what your, your the point of your deck is, what your game plan is. And that will help you make those redraw decisions. And yeah, this also ties, the redraw decisions also tie back into power sequencing this sounds obvious, but I, I do see people from time to time keeping hands where they aren't able to reliably play their cards, and that's a mistake. You just want to keep redrawing. Like the chances of you drawing into a worse hand are slight with the way the redraw system works in Eternal, especially um, if you're coming from Magic: The Gathering um, and you aren't aware. Eternal has a redraw system that guarantees you two to four power whenever you redraw both on the first and second redraw. So the chances of you having a completely horrifyingly unplayable hand when you redraw are, have been lessened by this. So, um, don't feel afraid. I I find myself clicking redraw on the first hand a lot. Like I I would say close to 50, 60% potentially. Like it's, it's, it can change from, from like format to format sometimes, but yeah, I draft a lot of aggressive decks, and if if my opening hand doesn't fit my game plan, I'm gonna ship it back until I get something that does. Going to six too is also something that you you gotta get comfortable with doing. I know this is partially anecdotal, but a lot of my like seven seven one seven o oh, drafts at, at at a couple of points in each of them, I had to redraw to six to find a hand that really worked with my game plan so yeah do you have any any questions or additions to
0: that yeah that one's interesting because i think i almost never go down to six and i wonder if part of that is just from listening to so much magic so many magic podcasts where i feel like in magic the refrain is like you know most players could up their win percentage by never mulliganing in Magic yeah. in Draft, it's much it's much more risky of a decision to mulligan and, down it, to six. You know, and in in Limited, there's card advantage uh, is so important that going down the one card is is like such a bigger detriment in Limited, and so I've carried that sort of sentiment over to Magic, where I'm just like, oh, I can't possibly go to win and go down to six cards. So it would take a really, really bad hand for me to be willing to ship that one. But I do wonder if maybe I'm a little too conservative in, in that area.
1: I rarely go up against an opponent that's just uh, sitting there doing nothing. So uh, many times in the back of my head, I'm like, can this, can this hand reasonably compete with somebody who's playing all of their stuff on curve? Mm -hmm. and and really you know executing their game plan and if and if i can't reliably say yes to that i'm just going to redraw a lot of times so yeah i think i think you're totally right i can see how playing magic it it doesn't really uh yeah it doesn't line up with eternal on this front at all because because eternal the the the, uh the redraw to six is not nearly as risky (laughs) Yeah, but Eternal has a much more generous redraw system. So yeah, don't don't be afraid to use it. I, I think that the general rule of keeping hands that are able to play at least a couple of cards is, is key. I, I rarely would keep a hand that can't play more than one card. Next uh, tips and tricks, we're gonna just, I wanted to talk about card draw in draft and specifically cards that do nothing but draw cards. <laughs> So I think right now we've got available to us like wisdom of elders, strategize, um, a moon dial, I think falls into that category. Um, ancient lore, though ancient lore is slightly different being able to give gives plus one plus one to any unit you draw and it costs four. And the, I, I found that cards uh, perfectly fine. It's not a high, highly playable bomb of any kind, but it, it can fill out a deck. Um and then you got a card like Albatross which is a card that <laughs> draws cards but is super flexible and powerful and does many different things. So that's the type of card you you're not going to likely pass up for many things. Um and the other cards like Wisdom of Elders and Strategize there there are some decks that want it and I think most notably decks that are zoned in on playing like, they're powerful game-winning bombs, 5, 6, and 7 drops. And also decks and or, you know, decks that have unconditional removal and stuff that are really able to take control of the board really well. And so with those, with those decks, if you have enough early defense and can squeeze in, you know, a strategizer or wisdom here or there, they're not horrible. If, if, so if that's your game plan, being able to dig to those cards is decent um but it it, i don't you know those types of cards you want to avoid if your game plan is you know that linear aggressive like curving out into you know two three and then four drops or weapons and stuff like those cards you want to stay away from if the power level of your units is is lower and you're relying more on those early game synergies so yeah if if your deck is what you would call, you know, aggro or something that is looking more aggressive, I wouldn't throw these into your deck, especially above something that has that's proactive like a pump spell. Um, and in general, I think I found card draw to just be more weak in the current format from any good like spell matters cards, because typically there's formats where You've got Spell Matters, you know, units or, or other cards where stacking spells and you're getting a certain number of spells in your void or anything like that has an impact. But right now we don't. I don't think we really have any Beyond Wormstone. I think it's that's pretty much the only good Spells Matters card. So that decreases the stock of these card draw. Yeah. And then, you know, on the periphery, there's some looting options like Pitfall Trap. Um, Pitfall Trap kind of stands alone beyond this group in the fact that it, it has the chance to create crazy amounts of value by pinging off one of their guys or even killing a, pinging a guy post-combat to finish him off or something and then being able to loot, you know, which is drawing a card then discarding a card um, every time you play a unit is really good, good for filtering away useless extra power and stuff later in games it keeps it keeps you drawing gas so yeah that that's all i've got i don't know if you've
0: played much of any of these cards like you know wisdom of elders i have not i i the only ones that i really ever play are like moon dial and frost talisman the sort of the continuous card advantage cards yeah i don't know if i just have one of the again a block against the cards but I would always choose a unit over putting, you know, a wisdom of the elder or even a strategize in my deck. Though I'm actually surprised about how many people play them against me. Even, you know, good players I feel like have them in their deck more than I I would think they yeah, would need I, them. I, you know, if your if your game plan is
1: sitting back on Death Touch units and playing defense and waiting to draw big flyers like Mantasaurs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you can fill out your deck with something like a Wisdom or Strategize pretty well. Do
0: and, you, is there yeah. any validity to um you know say if you do have an aggressive low curve deck to like put a Wisdom of the Elders in there to just like refill your hand a little bit after you've played out all your 1 and 2 and 3 drops? Yeah, see that yeah that's I was the point I was trying to make
1: was that like that That card is just a waste of power in a way. Like you're wasting a turn. Mm -hmm. You know, you you see that in Ranked as well. Sometimes you'll play against somebody and it'll be a really tight early game where you play, you know, an aggressive two or three drop and they waste a turn casting Wisdom of Elders. There's many times where that feels really good for you. Especially in those early turns. And if it's not a part of your game plan like if it's in a deck where you know you're you never like you know wisdom of elders costs three to draw to and if you're playing an aggressive game plan you want to be furthering that at all costs you don't want to ever be taking a turn off not playing a weapon or a guy or a pump Mm -hmm. spell or something um progressing that that game plan so yeah i think those cards specifically should just stay in the <clears throat> the decks that have things like, like I said, unconditional removal and big bombs and stuff. All right, so <clears throat> let's get into the next one. Uh, this is something I've been kind of going through some of the old articles that I used to love to read um, from Magic the Gathering when I used to play. Like there are a lot of, people writing things not just on draft but all sorts of stuff but one, one i came across was an old one by uh it's not too old i guess by mike secret uh on star city games about bias and i think this is this is a good point following up with isomorphic's plan of being you know like super open to everything and taking in all this information and processing everything and you know being able to play any type of deck uh this this is slightly counter to that which is don't be afraid to embrace your bias when the picks are close and what uh mike Seacrest had to say about this was um this is the quote most of us have a bias toward a specific color combination or color we like truly perfect drafters won't have any biases and will be able to avoid drafting specific colors. I'm not perfect and likely you aren't either. Now when I say embrace your bias, I simply mean when a pick is close, lean toward your bias. don't fight it so yeah I I, I like that's the end of the of his quote there that I cut out here but um I, I like that because I do think. There are moments where I see people like, oh, I really want to pick this, but I've heard this card is slightly better, and like in those moments, you know, if you're really having trouble figuring it out, just just go with what you're comfortable with. I I have had success following this general rule of thumb to myself. Like if I if I'm on a tear with Ricano weapons decks, which I did for quite a while, it it had gotten to the point where. You know, when when faced with the choice between, say, a barrel through or, you know, a scavenge or something, I think some people look at the scavenger like, ooh, that card can do really strong things with certain decks and stuff. But I just had so much trouble pulling that deck together and I, I knew the barrel through style decks really well and and had had success with them. So I would, you know, have picked that over it just based on that personal bias.
0: Yeah, um, and... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like... And another thing that I I think this speaks to is trusting yourself. Like, if there's two... Like you were saying in your previous previous example, you know, if there's, like, a card you like and then another card, and you're like, oh, you know, people say this card is really good. But if you don't feel that, you know, part of that reason could just be because you, you don't know how to play that card to its full effectiveness. And so you know it's even if it's like in theory you know a better card if you're not playing it as effectively as you could to you it's not a better card and you just <laughs> yeah. i think in a situation like that you know go with your gut go with the card that you feel is more powerful because that probably means that you will know how to play that card better than the other card and the i the next thing i got
1: here is there's like a small like caveat because this this quote from mike was Uh, you know about magic the gathering but uh, it's unfortunately the the picking cards based on your bias is a little more effective in magic where you can actually you're able to send signals to other drafters in, in the way that you cut off certain colors like you can force something and make sure that it's flowing the next pack coming back your direction because the person to your left is you know, has no opportunity to even dip their toes in that color. Um, whereas in Eternal, your, your favorite factions aren't really necessarily open all the time, and there's really nothing you can do about it. You're, you know, you, there's, there's no interacting with uh, sending signals. So uh, Eternal Draft, in general, really does o- ultimately reward flexibility and learning all the factions. Um, so learning to play all of the different strategies well it is great and also helps you know learn how to beat them as well so I, I do strongly recommend that you try to you do try to overcome some of those biases when you can so that you can expand your knowledge of the game um if especially if you feel comfortable uh i have said this before but obviously this this might feel a little different if we ever had like a, a drafting a tournament of some kind fingers crossed dwd i hope we got that coming soon but yeah yeah i i think that spend some time learning as much as you can in eternal and don't don't get uh cornered into playing the same colors all the time or, or at at this point we as we've noted multiple times there are no bad factions right now there's they're, they're all quite good and have potential for getting you your, you know, five to seven win decks and stuff. So, and yeah, I know you had a couple other points you wanted to make in this y-
0: segment. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, these are just a couple small things that I think really helped me improve my drafting. And one of them was paying attention to the rarity of the cards that are being passed. And an example of this is like, you know, you're going into pick four and five and there's a good uncommon and then two commons missing. And, you know, that is often a bigger um, signal than trying to read a signal, say from a pack where there's only the rare and the three uncommons missing, you know, and then you have like, you have all the commons there and you're like, Oh, there's more red commons. You know, fire must be open, but that's not necessarily true because it could have just been that there were three really strong uncommons, and there just happens to be a lot of commons as compared to if there's like a really strong uncommon in the pack, or one, a strong uncommon, or a card that you consider a strong uncommon, and then there's commons missing. You know, that's probably a signal that say, hey, there's a mantasaur, and it's pick five and someone's picked two commons over that, they probably do not want to draft primal. And I think, you know, so for me, just paying attention to, to, like I said, rarity. And so if you're seeing good uncommons and rares late, that's a lot different than seeing a good common and no rares and uncommons in the pack and just, you know, figuring out what that means.
1: Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, This is the reason why Isomorphic likes to wait until (laughs) far later in pack two before he really settles down in any specific factions because of that point that it it takes a while to sort things out and to figure out like what's really because, you know, like you said, there could be a bunch of really good rares or uncommons that people were snagging early. Yeah, like, like, yeah, for example, you know, you see a, a Conflagrate pick pick four but all the uncommons and the rare missing is it's not all you can't necessarily go oh yeah fire is obviously open
0: <laughs> right
1: because it very well could have been just three great uncommons and a great rare and there's not much else to read
0: into that and then the uh one other thing i um that has helped me a lot is what i i say get into the habit of taking inventory and to be fair, I guess that was actually Gowanus' phrase. But um, yeah, so just getting into the habit of taking taking inventory of where you are in the draft, and I think the easiest way to do that is in between packs. Is just like in between the pack, you know, cut down your deck to to the factions and cards you think you want to play, and then see what you need to fill out the deck, and that includes you know thinking about your curve, thinking about how this deck wants to you know, win the game, what's your removal suite like, do you have enough fixing, you know, think about those cards. And then one concrete thing that I've been doing recently is, you know, sometime in the middle of pack three or at the end of pack three, I cut out everything from my deck but my units because units has actually recently been the thing that I've had the most trouble hitting the right number on and I've been having a lot more luck, you know, picking up a a lot of really good removal and then ending up with a deck with like 15 units. And so, you know, cutting out everything in my deck but my 10 to 15 units, it allows you to really get a a much clearer idea of what your curve is and allows you to go into like pack four really knowing, okay, well, I need two more two drops, a four drop would be great, and then one other unit, and then I'm good. And then you can sort of like pick, Cards in pack four with intention, and you know if you see a good card, you you know a really good like removal or spell, you have to, you can then more easily weigh that against like your creature needs. I like that. That's a good that's a good plan,
1: especially in eternal where we don't have many strategies or cards available to us for winning the game other than units. <laughs> so right, <laughs> yeah, that, that's gonna be the way that you win the game. So if you're sitting there looking at your deck and you're like wow I have some really good two drops some mediocre three drops and no good like four or five drops yeah you got to be start start wondering <laughs> what what your actual plan is obviously that doesn't work if you're going the heavy weapon route those those decks are a little more a little more tricky because they do present you with some critical decision points you know taking a really good weapon versus a decent unit but like you said if you take inventory frequently you should be able to answer that question
0: and i also think you know the difference there for me where that it actually doesn't change so much how i how i do that sort of on a heuristic level is even on your like weapon heavy decks you're not running 15 20 weapons you know you're still going to have way more units than you are going to have weapons and so it's it's much easier at least for me personally to even in a long list of things be like oh i have four weapons and i kind of want five or six as compared to you know you, you have a list of 30 cards and you're like how many units do i have what's the curve of the units and so even when i'm in weapon heavy decks i find it much easier to use the units as a base because it's so much easier to tell how many weapons or how many spells you have because you just have so much fewer proportionally. Now, our final tip, which is right into this podcast wheelhouse.
1: Yeah. So I, I I've been wanting to expand on this a little bit because I I do think it's important. Um, and as a veg yeah as a vegetable
0: he really farmer, does guys.
1: Yeah, I do. As a vegetable farmer, I had I had to say this eventually, but um yeah, get healthy and you know play your games when you're feeling well. I think this is. you know, if you want to use eternal as your, you know, your driving goal, this is, this is one of the best ways to, to improve your like performance in a lot of games. Um, so yeah, eating well and getting exercise are just very important. Um, so that means, you know, eating a balanced diet, uh, where you meet, you know, your body's needs with protein, fats, vegetables, fruits, um, avoid excessive sugar consumption. Uh, I, I, I a lot of people drink energy, like sugary energy drinks and sodas and stuff. And those ultimately just sap your energy. They're, they're the, one of the first things you need to be cutting out of your diet. And, and ultimately you're going to save yourself a lot of money and feel better. So yeah, I think d- doing that is going to improve like, you know, not obviously not just your, uh, Progress and eternal, but you know, your general health. Um, but yeah, it that that's a good thing to, to kind of focus on, and um, also as far as getting exercise, you know, you don't need a gym membership to do that, there's lots of great body weight exercises. I'm not gonna like, <laughs> I'm not here to sell you on some 12 point step program or anything. I, d- I just wanted to bring this up as a, an important point, um, that, that I think that you're, you know, obviously your mind and body are, are one and the same. So protecting yourself and keeping yourself healthy, um, keeping yourself exercised and, and fed with good, wholesome food and staying on a good sleep schedule also, um, you know, avoid, Playing intense video games and and having mental extreme mental stimulation right before bedtime is going to help your your you know your sleep patterns as well. So um, I I actually I credit this approach with a lot of my successes even in games and in Magic and Eternal and stuff because I've always made a point, especially you know leading up to an ECQ or in a tournament or something, I like to really cut out like desserts and and alcohol even for a few days leading up to it and get lots of sleep and get some exercise and get my my body right above everything else so that the the morning I wake up when I plan to play my games I'm feeling refreshed and good and am able to make all the best decisions i can i mean it's you got to give yourself any edge you can right (laughs) it's true yeah i so that i'm not gonna you know preach too hard on this i just think that it's it's something for people to keep in the back of their their minds as a, a a great place to start with improving your your energy levels too all around if anybody I, wants me to ever go into more depth on any of this stuff, I, I don't know if the podcast is necessarily the best place to do it, but I'm totally willing to give an, you know advice on exercise, ideas, and uh, even cooking or eating. I, I do a ton of it. It's probably my specialty beyond
0: eternal. Yeah, one of the reasons I started farming was so that I could afford to eat the way I wanted to, so
1: oh yeah yeah we eat really i mean we're like super broke but we eat really good but anyway that's that's the end of the tips and tricks part two
0: so next is our usual draft segment uh, this draft was submitted by your soulmate and ruben is going to take the lead here and take this lead us through this draft all right well this
1: one yeah i, I this one's gonna be it's it's good it's kind of straightforward i think it it to, to a certain degree builds itself which can be fun it's nothing better than having obvious picks so let's see this first pick is so pack one pick one the cards in contention are imperial loyalist which is the four power four three in with one justice requirement that has it has pledge as well and also has a renown where whenever you play you know, whenever it renowns, you search your deck for a unit with cost equal to that renown effect and play it. So that that's a pretty powerful rare. Um yes. there's also Warband, Scald, and Pitfall Trap, I think are the other two cards that are even close. Um so yeah, he, uh he ends up picking Loyalist, which I totally agree with. I think that that the upside of that card's quite good. And it's worth noting that if you're able to play, say, a Mighty Strikes with Amplify, you're able to go get up to a six drop um, mm-hmm. into play. So, yeah, the, the effect is very powerful. And just the rate, the, a 4-3 for four with only one influence requirement is a solid body in and of itself with potentially huge upside and pledge. So there's many things, I think, to draw you into picking this card. I think it's quite good. So, yeah, not, not not too uh, not too much debate here. I think about this pick, although I do love me some Pitfall Trap. That card has been really good. <laughs> yeah, that is a card that I feel like never gets passed around. Yeah, I think a lot of people are onto it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite good. So the next pick, and this one's kind of crazy. Uh, the cards in can- contention are Colossal Terry X, uh, which is the the gigantic four four flying five drop with double time double primal requirement uh but it's got flying pledge and you can pay 3 to give it a permanent plus1 one, plus1 one boost so just a straight up bomb all around there's also a, you know a power breach sentinel and coastal beastmaster i'll just throw them in just you know because there were other cards here though i think the obvious pick and he ends up going with it as well is the the
0: gigantic flying dinosaur yeah, can you think of an uh, uncommon that you would want over Colossal Terriax?
1: No, I cannot. I don't know what this person was thinking. I, um, I, yeah. yeah, this is, this is crazy. That, yeah. So I guess we should mention that there was an uncommon missing here, and somebody passed this gigantic flying dinosaur. So pick three cards in contention. are There's a Steel-Eyed Pistolier, which is the 3-drop-3-3 the three three, three, that gets double-strike with Renown. There's a Gate Guardian, which is the the big Angel Wing teddy bear. 5-5 five, five for 6 that Renown gets flying. Uh, there's a Lether Intimidator and an Infused Guardian. And they pick the Infused Guardian, which I think is the all-around strongest
0: card here. So I like that pick. The one question that I kind of had is, if you're, like, the card I definitely want to put in my decks, you would put colossal terry above the imperial loyalist oh yeah way above way above yeah,
1: yeah, yeah okay yeah, absolutely uh, i mean a flying wind condition is beyond anything else right Imper- imperial loyalist is a card that has a chance at being broken whereas colossal terry
0: is is broken itself. It Is broken yeah it's just takes over and wins games i had i guess i'm just nine, wondering uh, if there's no argument for gate guardian
1: yeah, I mean, I just I think that infused guardian fits more decks at this point in the draft. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not really super committed any direction, even even to the dinosaur because it is high influence requirements. Double yes. time, double primals, pretty rough. Yeah. Although although we do have the note, this person got past this, so <laughs> yeah, so it's likely that that time and the Elysian is gonna be right. flowing. Um regardless, I think Infuse Infused Guardian is just a better card than Gate Guardian all around. Huh, so interesting. At, yeah, even at even at common, I think having pledge plus hitting the board a turn earlier and being able to grow. Whereas the the, the Gate Guardian is okay, but six is I mean the difference
0: between 5 and 6 is hard to really grasp sometimes. Yeah, no, it's it's different. But, Though a 5-5 five, five Flyer is uh, pretty beefy. It yeah, goes really always. well with your Terriax.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad card. But I do like the Infused Guardian pick just yeah. for the, the safest pick here. And the next pick, which is pick number 4. And we've got cards in contention, Conflagrate and then i had to scramble to find the, any others there's a frost talisman and a hard sight Cy- cyclops um, hard sight Cy- cyclops is a 4 3 for 4 that uh, amplifies to exhaust a unit it's yeah. also worth noting that it's double fire influence requirements. so it's it's kind of a heavy jump this stage of a draft so yeah the conflagrate is is a super
0: easy pick here
1: that card yeah. is really good
0: yeah and what's really interesting to me is missing in this pack are the rare and two other commons so so, so they picked two commons above congregate and we already know that they don't like elysian so yeah
1: i think at this point you got to be worried that maybe their cat was like walking across <laughs> their computer and accidentally clicks a bunch of cards and made him miss the dinosaur and (laughs) yeah i like you said i there's not any commons i imagine taking over conflagrate um it's really good in in all decks types both aggressive and defensive and has the additional benefit of being even you know really good in defensive decks because once you hit that seven power you're able to knock off two guys. So yeah, I, yeah easy, easy Conflagrate. Pick number five. We're still in the first pack here. And the cards in contention here are Cliff Diver Mantisar, Um which is the 4-3 Flying Aegis Pledge for five in Primal. Uh, there's a Conflagrate and a Blistering Claws, the rare that... <laughs> Uh, you have deadly when you have a unit with deadly. If it's I'm just joking by adding that. It's not really good, but it's worth noting that there's a rare here, so they're not rare drafting. So, so this is they picked Mantisaur, and I like that. Though I do think this is this is maybe the first pick and one of the few picks in this draft where I think that that there could have been a pause and a debate because I think you've already got an Infused Guardian, and a Colossal Terriax at this point. So you've got a couple 5-drops. And Conflagrate doesn't matter how many Conflagrates you have in your deck. I don't know what the upper limit is of Conflagrates you would play. It'd have to be like, what, like 4-5, or five maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I would play well, they get better in multiples. In they
0: definitely yeah. get better in multiples.
1: Yeah, so I, I feel like... My personal draft style, I I would have actually picked up the Conflagrate right here, um. But I, I don't disagree with the Mantisaur pick either. I I understand it, and I know that you want to pick cards that win the game when you see them. Also,
0: yeah, and that's why I think I would have pl- picked the Mantisaur like um, your soulmate did. You know, I made the the joke last week, but mantisaur beats conflagrate in a, a one-on-one fight <laughs> and it's a win condition that can protect itself which is nice that's true
1: yeah i, I just think that five f- five drops are kind of easy to come by in this specific uh faction
0: pairing as well that no would... i agree but oh. i would rather have if i was have a plethora of five drops i would put mantisaur in my deck before infused guardian at least yeah, at this yeah. point.
1: Man- Mantasaur is great. It's really not a big deal either way. I I do think it's close, though. I don't think that you can pass up a conflagrate that easily ever. I think that the card is crazy powerful. And it's fast. It's so good. Uh, Anyway, we'll get to the next pick, which is is another kind of interesting one. So the cards in contention are Carnivorous Sauropod, a Bannerman, and a Begon. Um... And they just went with the bannerman, and I think that's a really good pick i think i i yeah i'm not I said I was thinking this was interesting, but after looking at it, it makes a lot of sense to just pick early bannermans until you know what's going on
0: yeah i i i sort of agree, i guess do I agree
1: well what would you I know you've said you like begon in the past it, I guess the only other card would be the sauropod potentially
0: yeah but and this but the sauropod is like exactly in the colors you want so I guess that's the only thing that's making me pause here yeah is because I feel like at this point in the draft the things that I that I know if you could know anything from the person passing to you <laughs> this draft is that they do not like fire and they do not like, they do not like good fire cards and they do not like good primal cards. You have two solid time cards, so you don't mind time being your splash. So I guess, I mean, I do think the Bannerman is like the safest and a very defensible pick, but I do wonder if, you know, you, I feel like you could confidently pick Carnivorous Sauropod just based on the signals you've been reading and know that it's probably going to make your deck and it's a very powerful card.
1: Hey, if 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 uh I if I had been drafting and taken the second conflagrate, there's a Dune Painter here. <laughs> eh? Yeah? What do you think? I actually probably still would have gone with the Bannerman. <laughs> yeah. I like that card. I, I think it's it's very serviceable. Any any card that helps further the rest of your game plan is great, while also being a decent body go to the next pick. I think this is the last one we're going to cover in this pack, which is pick number seven. The cards in contention is a Master Cartographer and a Token of Honor. And they picked the token, and I know they, they mentioned maybe that the Master Cartographer could have been a, an option here, but I like I like the token more. I think Cartographer is, is decent, but... Uh, it's not a premier two drop by any
0: means, in my eyes. I I don't know. Have you have you played much of that card? I play it more and more. It keeps going up for me. I just I feel like the I'm the more I play it, the more I realize how useful the looting and the deck smoothing are. Just how important that is, and how much that helps you. You know, play the cards that you actually want to play. Yeah, the other thing the only other thing that I to say about Master Cartographer is I've been going really back and forth on whether there's a lot of ping effects or not a lot of ping <laughs> effects in the format. And based on how I'm feeling at any given moment, the all the the two mana, the two power two ones go up and down in my estimation you know so
1: based on how many ameth- amethyst acolytes you run into <laughs>
0: yeah exactly the probably the draft before but right now i'm like feeling up on two power two ones. so i'm i'm i've been happy even taking the camels recently so and master photographer is a lot better than that all that said i agree that it it, it the token of honor is the uh, the safe pick here um, and let's see, they round out the next
1: pack with a, a Sirocco glider and an improvised club. That's not going to be played, but the, the gliders, maybe, maybe, maybe.
0: Yep, and um, so I think at the end of this pack, you know, the things that you can say, uh we've just discussed it, but I think they are solidly in Fire and Primal, and then they have a couple time cards that they want to play, though that's not necessarily the direction they have to go, because it might not be open in pack four.
1: Yeah,
0: they're pretty evenly
1: split among the Jenna factions, it looks like.
0: Yeah. At the moment.
1: So the second pack starts off, and the cards in contention are... is an Idol of Destrin, which is a five power... It's a legendary sentinel. Five power, and it requires two time... And if when it's in your hand or deck, it gets plus one, plus one every time you play a unit. And, okay, so there's also a Sandbinder Sentinel, which is a four, six, or five. The one that uh, puts a sandbind on an enemy unit with flying, which just brings them back down to Earth. And there's a Skycrag Banner and an Amethyst Acolyte. And, you know, I, I love Acolyte a lot. But obviously they're sitting pretty well in, in a potential time deck and they went with the Sandbiters binder sentinel, which I really like. I, I agree with that pick. And they were they were wondering about Idol of Destron, maybe like I don't know, in an alternate universe that card could do something in certain decks. But I, I think it's it's really it's hard to make that card <laughs> good.
0: Yeah, and I they kind of mentioned it. They um they said that. You know, they felt like it's probably just a five power three three. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty a pretty good way to look at it. Yeah. With I, upside, I, obviously. But
1: I agree. I think the, the Sandbinder elemental is uh, less situational. It's yeah. gonna be a four-six for five every time you draw it. So yeah, that's it's good pickup here. And the next second pick of the second pack, the cards in contention are there's a Lethrys. Secret Weaver, which is the 3-3 for 3 in Primal where you you pay for, discard a uh, card, oh, you discard a spell Spell. to draw two cards. That card's pretty hard to make work, to be honest. Um, There are uh, very rare cases where it's very good, but uh, there's a Magenta Wisp, um, a Seek Power, and a Bold Adventurer as potential picks. I'm gonna, I'm just mentioning bold adventure because they brought it up. But I I think it was an easy seek power here and that's what they ended up picking. Pick number was pick number three of the second pack. We're looking at the cards in contention are there's a Stone Scar Maul. That's the big six three weapon for six and fire with overwhelm. There's an Amarin Archaeologist. There's a Flash Freeze and a Wormstone. And they picked the Flash Freeze here. I actually think this pick is almost like a four-way tie for me <laughs> personally. I don't know if that sounds weird to say, but I, I, I like I like the way that e- even Wormstone is potentially looking in this deck, but also getting that first flash freeze can also be really great. But I, I also think Stone Scar Mall is a perfectly fine uh, removal spell for a lot of. It's not a spell obviously it's a relic weapon but um it basically is a removal at 6 and Amaran Amer- archaeologist is just a, a solid guy um yeah so yeah I, I i think the archaeologist is the weakest of the four but um do, how do you feel what are you what would be
0: your leaning here are you a big flash freeze guy i i am i i do like flash freeze you talked me up on the card with Frostwave. It's like Flash Freeze is like the poor man's Frostwave. But it's still pretty good. Yeah. yeah um, no, it, it does the same job
1: in most games.
0: Yeah, I would just... I probably would spend time debating between Flash Freeze and Wormstone. You know, the problem with Stone Scar Mall, while it's a powerful card, it would be the third double influence card that you have. You know, because the Terry Axe is... Time time primal primal, so I don't know if I would want wanna add a fire fire to that mix.
1: Yeah, but... I, I I like the fresh flash freeze pick. Yeah. I don't I don't disagree with that. But I also could see an argument for a wormstone yeah. as well. Or the mall, potentially. Uh so the next pick is cards in contention. You've got a steward of prophecy, which is the four drop, four three, it costs one time influence, and it, when you summon it, it silences a unit in the enemy hand. And there's also a rebel sharpshooter. <laughs> so pretty straightforward here. You've got you know a solid 3-drop in fire versus the 4-drop rare with incredible upside. I think this is a pretty easy steward of prophecy here. Yes. That, that card is quite good. Although in the right deck, that sharpshooter is looking really nice. Yeah, though but, you don't have any weapons yet, really. Yeah, no, no, not in this draft here. I think the Steward of Prophecy was a great pickup. Uh, the next one we've got... Oh, uh, in pack two. Cards in Contention as <laughs> a Moondial and a Voracious Fasora. Yeah, obviously they just picked the moon dial here. Um, the Fasora is the 4-2 Dinosaur with Reckless for three. And I... I'm having trouble imagining a deck that really wants that card very often other than just to round out a unit drop in a
0: more aggressive list.
1: Yeah I played Um,
0: it for the first time ever I think uh, this week. Easy moon dial.
1: All right and then yeah we're just gonna go ahead and skip to looking at the final deck list now and yeah this looks like it really, they rounded out with some very powerful cards. Um, got a second Conflagrate, a uh, Lightning Strike, a Mighty Strikes, a Seasoned Spelunker, a Makeshift Barrier, a Coastal Huntsman, and a Trailmaker, and just a Scorpion as a good early defensive guy. Um, so yeah, this this to me, minus that weird meditation sitting there in their spell suite is looking like a almost ideal deck for the format at the moment. They've got great top end, really good game winning five drops, a nice variety of removal spells, flexibility with, you know, the mighty strikes and the conflict rates and stuff. And then their unit package, even their early guys are all fairly useful. Um, They had to, you know, squeeze in a bold adventure and a sirocco glider and a court mage, despite you know the the glider didn't have any relics to go with it, but yeah, a lot so of that time, meditation should were...
0: be a moon dial
1: that yeah, I like that change. I think you're right i I do I agree with that change, because yeah, we were talking earlier, we're like, well, what would they have played over the meditation, but that's right, we picked up a moon dial, <laughs> so yeah i I think that that makes more sense. But anyway, good job. Um, I'm curious as to how they did with this deck. 1 and uh, 3. Oh, they went 1 and 3.
0: Yeah. Oh bad beats, man. Yeah, and they said... And they blamed it on the deck, which I don't think... I think it was just bad variance. Because they said that they thought they had really good top end, and then decks kept going over the top of them. But what more could you want of your 5 and 6... Your 5 drops than a Cliff Diver mantasaur? A colossal teriax, an infused guardian, and a sandbinder sentinel.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic top end for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, and, I, and they I, have the, the early although, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I like I like having a third configrate over that Mantasaur potentially in this deck list just because they they ended up getting there with some other they even have a ruination sledge and a welding torch and stuff, so well oh no, that's an argument. The other direction, sorry. <laughs> They've got <laughs> weapons to put on that Mantisaur.
0: What am I talking about? Yeah, no, I'm I'm still happy with the Mantisaur in this deck. Yeah, that's fair. You know, the one thing I will say, um, and this is just based on my the games I've played this week, or the, dra- the drafts I've done this week, is that decks feel like this past week have suddenly got a lot bigger, at least the decks I'm playing against. And so I've had to adjust my drafts a little bit to go slightly bigger than I was before just to try to keep up with them. Um, and I think, you know, that's true. If you tend to draft slightly more mid rangey decks, like I do then, you know, because I'm, I wasn't drafting decks that would go under those decks. And so I had to kind of beef up my decks to, to match them and maybe that's kind of what um your soulmate got hit with he just hit a bunch of decks playing you know um runic protectors and improvised clubs and what you think is your top end is no longer big enough to go over that interesting i mean yeah it's i i can imagine
1: more good hands than bad hands with the stick that's for sure
0: yeah, no, I, I, it seems like a very solid deck. And we'll put the screenshot in the show notes so you can take a look at it. Um, and if you have any advice for your soulmate, please, uh, I'll pass that along. So I guess that's the end of our show today. So thank you everyone for listening. And remember to keep on farming. All right, you want to do the bonus? Do you have super, any bonus? Super bonus content. Do you have any super bonus content
1: you want to talk about? I'm just going stir crazy waiting for like tournament announcements and new cards and stuff. I know that there's got to be something around the corner, but <laughs> I- I've actually been having a lot of fun playing ranked the last uh, several days since the month reset. I-, I like rapidly shot up to Diamond One and now I've been just. It's like smashing my head against all of these really good players playing temporal controls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, needless to say, I just switched to playing like Felm Scream for a while. <laughs> just and I've been I did I had some success with that deck. It was a lot of fun. I I've, I've been working on it a little bit, but um, it's it wouldn't be my pick for an ECQ at the at the moment. That's for sure. mm Hmm. I, I still think I would lean towards F FJS. FJS.
0: Yeah, do it's you just, feel like that has a good temporal matchup or? It's not horrible. I you think, can you know, probably build the deck to be better against it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's some certain. It, it comes down to um, brilliant idea. I found a lot of times mm-hmm. if you're able because Regent's Tomb is back breaking against temporal control. It it really especially if you land it and are able to protect it which isn't hard they're not playing particularly efficient units ever um like their smuggler three three is like the worst thing they can do to yeah. to pressure a region's tomb so you drop tomb and you sabotage out their brilliant ideas and then they're just kind of left sitting there with you just outvaluing them the, the issue has been in my experience when I set when I like play the Regent's tomb and sabotage them and I go to see a hand with two or three brilliant ideas in it and then I'm uh, oh god I know that I have a huge battle ahead of me because yeah. there you know there's no way they have so much ramp they're always gonna get to amplifying that thing and drawing a crazy amount of cards and just uh, I mean that they'll always kind of reset the board. I play a control variant also of FGS with the more mm-hmm. harsh rules and the end of story in the market. So I, I, I kind of like leaning towards being able to beat mid range and aggro decks easily, which doesn't help my temporal <laughs> matchup either. Do though, right. though I do? Do I do feel like it's, it's closer to 50, 50 than a lot of people realize it, especially if you know how to, how to play the matchup properly, because fjs still has crazy amounts of card draw when you're when you have zo's going and you're swapping him in and out of your market and everything you can definitely and and also with with the control variant you have lots of harsh rules to reset the board if they go in on a big great parliament or something overload the board with owls so but yeah that you know i don't know if anybody's that interested in hearing the musings of a Chronic FJS player. <laughs> no, I I, I think yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, I, I I mean, obviously, I've played the game, the deck a whole lot, and I'm I, I just I love it. I feel like it's I like to call it the Swiss Army knife deck. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say the the FTP the the Geneva Peaks deck is very similar in its ability to play around your opponent's game plan, and while while always having your own like inevitable powerful late game stuff that's just gonna happen with their deck it's you know heart of the vaults and howling peaks and with fjs it's zo's and rizons and Dizo's offices and uh chains coming out of the market and stuff there's you've got
0: a lot of options
1: so yeah yeah, i
0: could never get behind the ftp decks because i just they just don't have any way to reset the board i feel like i think that's the big weakness of that deck
1: yeah, yeah, they they do good in in against decks where the focus is more on the one or two big drops. Though I, I have to say, the adding the torrential downpour to the market has been a huge tech upgrade for that market on that FTP deck. The help it beat aggro decks, especially because one of the weaknesses was I think you know Sunnyvale who developed the the peak a lot had mentioned multiple times the Praxis Tokens matchup and things like that as being really rough for the Peaks list. And mm-hmm. they've, they've kind of undone that problem with Torrential Downpour.
0: So does lot. that play a Genev Merchant instead? or? Oh, gosh. I don't really know off the top of my head. Um,
1: I'd have to look at it. I, I haven't played the deck. Because
0: originally it wasn't. It was like an Ixton Merchant and... The, the, um, the howling, the, the skycrag, yeah, merchant.
1: Yeah, I think the skycrag is the one you always play. The yeah. Every every list is running.
0: And then they were, because that was why the deck originally wanted to run Boar in the market. So it ran Ixton and, you know, to help with Zoe. And then it had to run the rock slide instead of the torrential downpour. So I'm wondering if they sort of. Lowered the zoe and bore synergy so that they could get a torrential downpour more consistently. I'm sure you. I'm sure
1: you can find that information pretty easily. Here's a list that Ilya K came up with um, that runs both four of each of the smugglers. So they had the rain of frogs, and the torrential downpour, and Caleb's choice, and Howling Peak in their market. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that's that's pretty good tech. I think that's that's nice. This is a nice list that he's got going here. Yeah. But a- anyway, yeah, that's that's been ranked for me. I, I played some mall matches too. I- I've been having fun with mall occasionally. Mo- mostly, I switch to mall from FJS whenever I get fed up with playing against temporal, like two games in a row or something. I just will, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: pull up pull up the the mall aggro list. Though, though you know, Temporal does have tools to beat it. It's not a straight up auto loss for them whatsoever. They've got, they've got ways to, you know, delay your clock and to get to their crazy broken stuff. That's why you got to play
0: Talir combo. Oh yeah, nice. That's it. You you've been practicing, right? A little. I mean, I've actually been playing so much rank that or draft that. I've been only doing my dailies with Talir Combo, and it's I've got my pack every day. Oh, man. And uh, this is probably most people's worst nightmare, but while I've been sitting alone in my greenhouse at one in the morning trying to get um, make sure my heater's working again, I've been playing Talir Combo in Gauntlet because the internet's not great down at the farm.
1: For anybody who doesn't know, Patrick is is, uh, a very impressive person. I don't know how he manages to do this show and everything else.
0: Like, pterodactyls aren't technically dinosaurs. Yeah, no, I I, I pull that card out all the time. Yeah. On my five-year-old. Oh, okay. I'm like, that's not even actually a dinosaur, Ernest.